Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Promotional consideration for tonight's OK Talk episode is brought to you by New Amsterdam. Imagine a world where creatives always have a key to the city. New Amsterdam makes high-quality notebooks with creative people in mind. That's K-N-E-W, Amsterdam.com. Be sure to use the promotional code NEWDAY and receive free shipping off your first order. NewAmsterdam.com. Welcome, citizen. Hello, children. Welcome to another episode of OK Talk. I'm so glad that you decided to stop by, ring the doorbell, and hold out your tacky plastic pumpkin. And we're about to drop some production candy into it. Tonight's episode is intended to cause fright. Stories, events, sounds and descriptions that could cause madness within that mind of yours. But of course, that's why you're here. Turn the lights down low. Put your headphones on. And let's see if we can get you in the Halloween spirit. Both tricks and treats await. Let's get spooky, shall we? Lights out for... The Devil. Turn out your lights now. We bring you stories of the supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly so that if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. You kill Mongara. You go long way now, but long way no help you. You die three days when you 
that off big fella boat three day boss river ton you Whatever are you doing there, miss? Heavens, child, you're white as milk. I are saw you? him. Don't tell me I didn't because I did. I saw him staring. Who, miss? The same man, the man on the tower. The tower? But now, just now, he was staring past me into the house as if he were hunting someone. Oh, what's he like, miss? Oh, he had dark, curling hair and the hardest, the coldest eyes. Is he... Would you say he was very handsome? Oh, yes, yes, handsome, handsome and obscene. But I've seen him before. Yes, he... I know where I've seen him. A picture. There's a picture of him. A miniature in a cracked glass in the attic. I'll show you. It can't be. It can't be. You know him. Quint. Peter Quint, the master's valet. But you see. Yes, miss, you see, he's dead. Quint is dead. About five years ago, my husband Adam and I decided it was finally time to start looking into buying a new home. We'd always talked about buying an older fixer-upper type of house because we felt they had more charm, you know, character. Plus, we could appreciate a place that has its own quirks because we're kind of quirky and we loved the thought of turning something run down into something beautiful again, you know, like the before and after effect. Having said that, I grew up in a pretty rural farming town in Indiana that held a lot of run-down houses. The surrounding area started to boom a little bit with people selling off farmland and turning their farms into factory locations, and then the subdivisions for people coming to work for them. 
So I thought it would be a great place to start on our house hunt. I figured we'd be a lot closer to civilization than I was growing up, but not so much so that we'd be living too close to our neighbors. We decided to take a drive on a Sunday because I wanted to show them some of the back roads of my hometown. And I also wanted to see what some of the properties that we looked at online looked like in person. As we turned off the main road through town and went further in on a secluded kind of country road, we noticed that the very first house on the left was completely abandoned. We pulled into a small yard where the grass was the shortest and where we assumed there must have been a gravel driveway before because we wanted to check it out. It was a dark green color, so you could hardly see it through the grass and the bushes and the weeds that grew all over it. There was a huge tree in the front yard, too, with branches and leaves that covered it even more. It really looked like it had been there over a hundred years, like it had been empty forever. The poor house looked neglected and weather-worn and in need of love major love. To me at that moment, that house was perfect. There was nothing but woods across the street, no neighbors anywhere. So Adam and I thought it probably wouldn't hurt if we just trespassed a little. I mean, I completely justified my way of thinking by saying, you know, we're interested in buying the property. We're not here to cause any trouble. We're just maybe doing someone a favor and we could take this house, if you want to call it that, off of someone's hands. We just need to take a look around first, that's all. I didn't see any no trespassing signs. So I was completely okay with my rationalization and felt free to step onto the property. We did walk carefully through the brush, went towards the left side of the house where we noticed a well. It had a bucket, a rope, a handle, everything. It looked like it was the original overhang. My excitement right there started to grow because it was a real country house. Right across from the well, there was a side entrance into the house. It looked like it might have been an added-on mud room. The screen door to the room was closed, but there was a wooden door behind it that looked like it was half open. This looked like it could be our not-really-intrusive way in. It was hot, probably around 95 that day. And when we stepped inside the house, by the way, Adam went first, it was that thick, stifling kind of heat, the kind that holds so much humidity that it almost takes your breath away. What we thought was a mudroom was really a pantry area or some kind of canning kitchen. It was really small with one little window a rusted sink, a small stove, and the walls still had shelves with cans and jars on them. I remember thinking, oh, this is really great. I can garden. I can make all kinds of vegetables and herbs and jams and jellies. All these things were running through my head. Stepping further in, we saw that it also had a doorway from that room into the main part of the house. And that is where my elation stopped cold dead. Through that doorway was the real kitchen. What was left of it, I'm talking like whatever cabinets were left or the sink, everything was on the left. 
but they were broken and hanging and completely destroyed. The kitchen connected to a wide open living area where one side had walls that were streaked with black that led all the way up to a half sunken gray ceiling. There must have been a fire at some point in the house. The windows on that wall were filthy, covered in ashes and It made the room look so much darker than it should have been in the middle of the day. But, you know, a fire can do that to a house, but my heart sank. Nonetheless, I knew we wouldn't be able to afford to repair this kind of house fire. But I kept that thought to myself for the time being. You know, I'm one of those glasses half full kind of women. There wasn't any furniture except for, believe it or not, a wooden rocking horse that a child would ride on. The floor was covered in magazines as if somebody had a giant stack of them and just threw them up in the air to see where they'd land. I was really curious as to what the former homeowners liked as far as reading material, so I just picked up a couple magazines and all of them were related to dolls. Whether porcelain dolls or Barbie dolls, making dolls, clothing, it was a little bit creepy especially with that rocking horse sort of staring at me. But I figured that it must have been an older lady that lived in that house before, and maybe her husband died, and this was like her hobby or her pastime. We decided to check out another room that was connected to the half-burned living room area. And so we went through the doorway to the left, and there was this really weird combination of a stand-up shower with handicap handles, you know, to stop you from falling. There was also an assisted toilet area next to it, and it was divided down the middle by a wall. On the right was a wall made entirely of built-in bookshelves, and the shelves were full of paperwork and manila envelopes and more magazines. It was such a strange setup, but I figured these people must have really loved to read while sitting on the toilet. To have bookshelves in the bathroom? My husband and I thought we could find out who the previous owners were, since some of the paperwork that was on top of the stacks looked like old bills. And if we wanted to look for property records, this would be a great opportunity to find a name to go on. So I grabbed a stack of papers and started to flip through them. When I got about halfway through these papers, the first half being really old telephone bills, All of a sudden, the second half turned into being color pictures from the internet of porcelain dolls. I put the stack of papers back on the shelf and picked up a small notebook, the kind we used for school. I started leafing through the notebook and saw that there were daily entries of medications, blood pressure, all neatly written by hand. And then about 20 pages in, the entries started to change entirely. They became drawings of twisted faces, and this was in red ink, and the faces had horns or bloody fangs. Then there were full-out pictures of devils, page after page, hand-drawn. I tried to convince myself that a child had picked this up and was doodling these pictures, but it just felt so different. Something was off. After the drawings, the notebook again became someone's personal journal, but... It was written in sort of an older man's kind of cursive writing. It told of how he knew he was coming towards the end of his life. 
and he was talking about remembering just being a young boy when his mom passed away. I kept reading and he described in detail how the wake for his mother was held in the front room and how during those nights he crawled on top of his mother's body in her coffin to sleep. I couldn't believe what I was reading. It was totally creeping me out. Even though I'd been sweating from how hot it was and the air being so thick, I got this sudden rush of the hair standing up on my arms, you know, goosebumps everywhere. I showed it to Adam, flipping the pages of the devils and the faces and reading out loud this stranger's memories. And after I finished, he says, well, this just got a whole lot weirder. And he nodded to what he was holding in his hands. While I'd been reading the notebook, he'd been rifling through the mountains of papers. One stack not only had more printed pictures of dolls in color, but now they had pictures of real women in torture bondage, like ball gags or electrical tape placed over their mouths, jumper cables twisting their nipples, being hogtied with rope. Sometimes there was more than one woman in the picture. It felt like a brick had been tossed into my stomach. I mean, what went on here? Maybe for some, those images wouldn't be very disturbing, but... In the context of our visit, I started to get panicked, even more panicked. I was torn between wanting to find out more or getting the fuck out of there. Adam reassured me that while it was on the bizarro side, it wasn't anything to necessarily lose my shit over since the women didn't seem to be suffering or bleeding. How any woman could allow this or like this is another story into itself. But... That burned-out living area was separated from the rest of the house by a staircase which we decided to explore. It had a room directly across from it and a small little hallway on the other side that led to the main room at the front of the house. We thought about going up to the second floor but decided against it because it already felt as if we were roasting in an oven and really we weren't sure of the stability of the second floor. Going into the room across the staircase, we noticed a few more doll magazines, just laying on the floor like in the other room, but not nearly as many as the other rooms had. There were scattered plastic doll pieces everywhere and random arms and heads. Just crazy. To the left was the original fireplace with a couple tiny vases on the mantel and smack dab in the middle was a framed picture of an elderly couple smiling and happy. How did this mix with the pictures we saw in the other room of those women bound and gagged and hidden away in their bathroom? These people could have been my grandparents. To the right was a big bay window and right in the middle was a yellowed piece of paper with faded black printed handwriting on it. It was for anyone on the outside of the house to see before it became overgrown. If you read it backwards from the inside, it said, If you're here to talk about Jesus, go away. Adam says, that's kind of hilarious. And I said, well, you know, maybe it is. I sort of half chuckled. But something in my brain was really starting to nag at me even more. I was trying to put my finger on it. Something just wasn't computing. Thinking back, my mind was trying to put together that an elderly couple in this town would more than likely be 
pretty religious, you'd think, and by the super small chance that they weren't, it wouldn't have been gossiped about had anybody seen that in the window. It was as if the house had two completely different personalities of people living in it. I told my husband I just wanted to go into that one last room down the little hall and then I'd be very ready to leave. I was very much changing my mind about wanting to purchase and turn this house around. Going down the small hallway, it got even darker, but cooler, and it was a relief from that heat that we'd been dealing with since first stepping inside the house. The shade from the giant tree in the front yard blocked a lot of the sunlight, making it, it must have felt like 20 degrees cooler. But we soon realized that wasn't the only reason that this part of the house was cooler. Rounding the corner into that last room, it took a few seconds for our eyes to adjust to the difference in light, but the change of the air was noticeable immediately. It was like we'd stepped into a cave. It smelled damp, and we could feel that moisture on our skin. Once again, walking through, things became a little more clearly focused, and that's when we saw it. The main reason our senses had shifted so quickly, there was a large hole in the floor. At first, we thought, whoa, the floor must be so weak that it just caved in on its own. Or maybe the roof leaked and caused this exact area of the floor to rot away. But getting closer, it became pretty obvious that wasn't the case. The hole was about five feet across and went straight down into the earth. There were about two feet of space between the remaining floor and the dirt. This hole was there because it was made to be there. Adam and I looked at each other. My heart was racing so fast, I thought it was going to burst through my chest. I said to him, what the fuck is this? Why is it here? I panicked. I felt my breathing get faster, shallow, like a real panic attack. Nothing was making sense, and yet the thoughts that had been running in the back of my mind were all coming together like a jigsaw puzzle. And then we saw them. The worn and faded social security cards. We also saw old and molded over driver's licenses, like just thrown around. Checkbooks, credit cards. It was like someone emptied their purse or their wallet in this room and then disappeared into the hole. I was completely beside myself. I felt 100% terror and dread. I had to get out of this house. My skin felt like static, like my whole body had been taken over by the sensation of when your foot falls asleep. Tears, I felt them forming in my eyes and my mind was just telling me to run. Without having to speak, Adam grabbed me by the arm and led us back down the hallway through the burned out living room and the kitchen, came out the side canning room and back out into the light of day. We ran back down that mangled and tangled driveway to the car. When I remember back on this, I get the eerie feeling that we weren't the only two people in that house that day, alive or dead. You know, that house still stands there. We never called the police to report this, even though I really had second thoughts about it. That hole in the floor 
Mm, it still bothers me to this day. But we drove past it about a year later, and that huge tree that was in the front yard had all its branches removed. All the windows had been boarded shut. And after doing some more research, we found out that the land that the house sits on was for sale, and the house itself had been condemned. Ooh, I still get the chills when I think about the fact we were inside a condemned house. We never found out what was in that hole. I wished I had had a flashlight so that we could shine it into the hole and see what was really in there. But at the same time, if we had seen, I don't know if I could have ever had a good night's sleep again. A whisper of death stirred the house, and it screamed, Murder! Murder! This school specializes in students whose character is, um, difficult. In order to bring them back to the right path, I must run this establishment with a firm hand. This was a strange kind of girls' school, where unholy horror haunts the innocent and the wicked are filled with distorted desires. Every three weeks, a young man comes to visit here. Each time, one of us has a chance to meet him. Next time, it'll be my turn. The house that screamed is a finishing school for depravity, evil, and murder. See Lily Palmer as the mistress who teaches everything in The House That Screamed, in color, rated GP. They went into the woods prepared to find death. What they found was a desecration of humanity at the site which trappers have often referred to as Coffin Rock. On top of the rock formation, the story of the torture inflicted upon these brave five men unfolded. Each was bound to the other, each man's hands bound to the next man's feet, forming a solid structure out of the men. Blood at the edges of the hemp indicates that this act had committed, been committed while each was alive and able-bodied enough to struggle. In the torso of each man, the intestines had been torn out crudely. On each man's sun-bleached face was inscribed indecipherable writing, cut into their flesh with an eerie precision. The men, still entranced by the horror of what had happened, left the scene to find the sheriff and did not sketch the writing and did not remove the bodies from the rock. Upon return, vultures were seen at the rock. But upon inspection, the bodies had been removed by persons unknown. The search party claimed that the stench of death was still thick, and whomever had taken the bodies had done so in a matter of hours. Because something interesting happened to you, actually, at one point in your life. You had an encounter with the Blair Witch. Um, yes, that is um, a really kind of scary story. Um, to kind of make ends meet, my dad and I would go fishing down by Taffy's Creek. Right. And, you know, it's um, in Burkittsville. I was laying down on the leaves, a pile of leaves, kind of watching my pool and looking up at the sky. Sure. And uh, all of a sudden, I felt like something was near me. Right. You know, kind of an eerie feeling. It, it was like a woman, only on her arm, on her hands and everything. It was like hair, like a real dark, almost black hair. Uh-huh. Like, like a horse. Like fur? Yeah, like a fur, like horse fur. Then her arms, she had like a shawl, right? wool shawl over her. And she scared you? She threatened and, you? And um, she didn't say anything. 
but she just kept staring and then right. she opened up her shawl. And what was under there? And under it there was hair on her body like a So horse. she was hairy from head to toe. Yeah, it's and her her legs and her, you could see right. How she about was her a face? female. It's just kind of like strange looking. What follows is the first account of the Black-Eyed Children from 1996, written by Brian Bethel. He was a journalist in Abilene. I don't really know what I'd call this story if I was submitting it for publication in Fate or something of its ilk. Brian versus the evil, black-eyed, possibly vampiric or demonic, but at least not bloody normal kids. Doesn't have much of a ring to it but that's at least an accurate title. As so many things do, it all started out innocently. My internet service provider used to have offices in a shopping center before they moved to their comparatively lush accommodations elsewhere. There was a drop box at that original location, the monthly bill was due, and thus, there but for the grace of the net went I. It was about 9.30 p.m. when I left from my relatively isolated apartments. It's about a 10, 15 minutes or so to downtown. Right next to the Camelot Communications old location is a $1.50 movie theater, and at the time, the place was featuring that masterwork of modern film, Mortal Kombat. I drove by the theater on the way into the center proper and pulled into an empty parking space. Using the glow of the marquee to write out my check, I was startled to hear a knock on the driver's side window of my car. I looked over and I saw two children staring at me from the street. I need to describe them. With the one feature, you can guess what it was that I didn't realize until about halfway through the conversation cleverly omitted. Both appeared to be in that semi-mystical stage of life children get into where you can't exactly tell their age. Both were boys, and my initial impression is that they were somewhere between 10 and 14. Boy number one was the spokesman. Boy number two didn't speak during the entire conversation, at least not in words. Boy number one was slightly taller than his companion wearing a pullover, hooded shirt, and a sort of gray checked pattern and jeans. I couldn't see his shoes. His skin was olive-colored and had curly, medium-length brown hair. He, ex he exuded an air of quiet confidence. Boy number two had pale skin with a trace of freckles. His primary characteristic seemed to be looking around nervously. He was dressed in a similar manner to his companion, but his pullover was a light green color. His hair was sort of pale orange. They didn't appear to be related, at least directly. Oh great, I thought. They're gonna hit me up for money. And then, the air changed. I've explained this before, but for the benefit of any new lurkers out there, right before I experience something strange, there's a change in perception that comes about which I describe in the above manner. It's basically enough time to know that it's too late. So there I was, filling out a check in my car, which was still running, and in a sudden panic over the appearance of two little boys. I was confused, but an overwhelming sense of fear and unearthliness rushed in nonetheless. The spokesman smiled, and the sight for some inexplicable reason chilled my blood. I could feel fight-or-flight responses kicking in, something I knew instinctually was not right, but I didn't know what it could possibly be. I rolled down the window very, very slightly and asked, Yes? The spokesman smiled again broader this time. His teeth were very, very white. Hey, mister, what's up? We have a problem. His voice was that of a young man, but his diction 
quiet, calm, and something I still couldn't put my finger on made my desire to flee even greater. You see, my friend and I want to go see the films, but we forgot our money. He continued. We need to go to our house to get it. You want to help us out? Okay. Journalists are required to talk to lots of people, and that includes children. I've seen and spoken to lots of them. Here's how that usually goes. Uh, 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 mister, can I see that camera? I, I won't break it or anything, I promise. My dad has a camera, and he lets me hold it sometimes, I guess, and I took a picture of my dog. It wasn't very good, because I got my finger in the way, and added in some feet shuffling and or body swaying, and you've got a typical kid talking to a stranger. In short, they're usually apologetic. People generally teach children that when they talk to adults, they're usually bothering them for one reason or another, and they should at least be polite. This kid in no way was fitting the mold. His command of language was incredible, and he showed no signs of fear. He spoke as if my help was a foregone conclusion. When he grinned, it was as if he was trying to say, I know something, and you're not going to like it. But the only way you're going to find out what it is will be to do what I say. Uh, well, that was the best reply I could offer. Now here's where it starts to get strange. The quiet companion looked at the spokesman with a mixture of confusion and guilt on his face. He seemed in some ways shocked, not with his friend's brusque manner, but that I didn't just immediately open the door. He eyed me nervously. The spokesman seemed a bit perturbed, too. I was still registering something wrong with both. Come on, mister, the spokesman said again, smooth as silk. Car salesmen could learn something from this kid. Now we just want to go to our house, and we're just two little boys. That really scared me. Something in the tone and diction again set off alarm bells. My mind was frantically trying to process what it was perceiving about the two figures that was wrong. Uh, um, that was all I could manage. I felt myself digging in my fingernails to the steering wheel. What movie are you going to go see? I asked finally. Mortal Kombat, of course, the spokesman said. The silent one nodded in affirmation, standing a few paces behind. Oh, I said. I stole a quick glance at the marquee and the clock in my car. Mortal Kombat had been playing for an hour, the last showing of the evening. The silent one looked increasingly nervous. I think he saw my glances and suspected I might be detecting something was not above board. Come on, mister, let us in. We can't get in the car until you do, you know, the spokesman said soothingly. Just let us in, and we'll be gone before you know it. We'll go to our mother's house. We locked eyes. To my horror, I realized my hand had strayed toward the door lock, which was engaged, and I was in the process of opening it. I pulled it away, probably a bit too violently, but it did force me to look away from the children. I turned back. Uh, oh, I offered weakly, and then my mind snapped into sharp focus. For the first time, I noticed their eyes. They were coal black. No pupil. No iris. Just two staring orbs reflecting the red and white light of the marquee. At that point, I knew my expression betrayed me. The silent one had a look of horror on his face, in a combination that seemed to indicate A, the impossible had just happened, and B, we've been found out. The spokesman, on the other hand, wore a mask of anger. His eyes glittered brightly in the half-light. Come on, mister, he said. We won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. That last statement scared the living hell out of me, because at that point, by his tone, he was plainly saying, we don't need a gun. He noticed my hand shooting down toward the gear shift. The spokesman's final words contained an anger that was complete and whole, and yet contained in some respects a tone of panic. We can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. I ripped the car into reverse. Thank goodness no one was coming up behind me and tore out of the parking lot. I noticed the boys in my peripheral vision, and I stole a quick glance back. They were gone. 
the sidewalk by the theater was deserted. I drove home in a heightened state of panic. Had anyone attempted to stop me, I would have run on through and faced the consequences later. I bolted into my house, scanning all around, including the sky. What did I see? Maybe nothing more than some kids looking for a ride and some really funky contacts. Yeah, right. A friend suggested they were vampires with the old let us in bit and my compelled response to open the door. That and the we'll go see our mother thing. I'm still not sure what they were, but here's an epilogue I find chilling. I talk about Chad a lot. He's still my best friend, my best ghost hunting companion, and an all-around cool guy. He recently moved to Amarillo, but at the time this happened, was still living in San Angelo. I called him, and I talked to him briefly. He had two female friends with him at the time, both professing some type of psychic ability. I started telling him the story, leaving out the part about the black eyes for the kicker. One of the women stopped me. These children had black eyes, right? She asked. I mean, all black eyes? Uh, yes. I said. I was a bit taken aback. Hmm. One night last week, I had a dream about children with black eyes. They were outside my house, wanting to be let in. But there was something wrong with them. It took me a while to realize it was the eyes. I hadn't even gotten as far as them wanting to come in. What did you do? I asked. I kept the doors and windows locked, she said. I knew if they came in, they would kill me. And they would have killed you, too, if you had let them in your car. Hello, fellow children of the night. This is Shannon from Into the Fray, and you're listening to OK Talk. So damn good, it's scary. Is Charlie Manson crazy? Well, whatever that means. Sure, he's crazy as mad as a hatter. What difference does it make? You know, a long time ago, being crazy meant something. Nowadays, everybody's crazy. Do you feel blame? Are you mad? Uh, do you feel like The mind is endless. You put me in a dark, solitary cell. And to you, that's the end. To me... <laughs> It's the beginning. It's the universe in there. There's a world in there. I'm free. Bring life to the dead. 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 Enter the occult world of necromancy. You were brought here for one purpose. Necromancy. A ceremony dating back to the pre-Christian era. It's the art of reviving the dead. It requires involvement with evil spirits by the person performing the act. The devil god brings life to the dead. No, 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 please. No, please. No. Death to the living. Necromancy. Starring Orson Welles and Pamela Franklin. From Cinerama releasing. In color, rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. You're dead. I killed you. I saw the knife drive in you. You're dead. You hear me? You're dead. You're dead. The dead can't live again. No. No. No, that knife in your hand. 
Don't do it to me. I'll give you back your diamond. I'll give you back. I'll give you back your diamond, Mungara. Don't knife me. Don't. Don't give it to me. Doctor, he's fainted. Yes, he... No. No, it can't be. Doctor, what is it? What's wrong? Your friend. He's dead. <laughs> dead? Yes. Oh, why? Why did he die? I... I don't know. I only touched him with a hypodermic needle. Now, completely for amusement, I give you a rather old-fashioned ghost story. It begins after a realistic message from your station. Promotional consideration for tonight's OK Talk episode is brought to you by NewAmsterdam.com. New Amsterdam, imagine a world where creatives always have a key to the city. New Amsterdam makes high-quality notebooks with creative peoples in mind. That's K-N-E-W, Amsterdam.com. Use the promotional code NEWDAY and receive free shipping off your first order. NewAmsterdam.com. Welcome, citizen. We rented a house that never felt like home. You always felt creeped out walking in there like you were being watched. My boyfriend and our roommate both worked nights, so I'd be there by myself a lot. One night, I was doing my usual stuff and watching some TV before bed. I had this overwhelming feeling all night that I should avoid the hallway and not look directly down it. It was creepy. The feeling of being watched and terrified lasted about two hours before I decided to suck it up and make my way back to my room. I left the hallway lights on and went to bed. Just as I turned off the side table light, I heard a drawer being pulled out and hitting the stopper. I turned on the light and nothing was out of place. Uh, this went on about six times before I decided I was sleeping with the light on. I curled up under the covers and waited for my boyfriend to get home. He comes rolling in about 3 a.m. He's laughing at me for being such a pussy. He gets into bed and turns the light off, and that's when all hell broke loose. All the doors down the hallway slammed shut one by one, then the closet door started rattling. The sound coming from inside could only be described as total destruction. It sounded like the shelves, the pole, and everything in there would be tossed around. My boyfriend joined me into the covers, and we were both terrified. After it stopped, it took five, ten minutes to convince him to go check around the house. Uh, nothing was out of place, and our roommate had driven three hours back home that night to be with his family, so we knew it wasn't him. We slept with the light on the rest of the night, and we moved out soon after. I still can't drive by that house without being creeped out. The oven has SS written on it. I come out of the bakery in 1954. So someone's got to be killed. Somebody told somebody some lies and somebody's going to kill somebody. So I come out of the bakery pushing the broom and they got this guy in the butcher shop and they're stabbing him to death. I'm walking a line. I'm not a snitch. 
I don't run and tell the cops tales. I stand on my own two feet. So one of them looks over and says, Manson, get on the point. So I take the broom and I get on the point. And I'm watching and I'm thinking, that tramp better not move for me. If he moves to me, I'm going to take him home to his mama. You dig? So he doesn't move to me and I don't move to him. So they got this guy and they stabbed him to death. And you can't kill anyone in the kitchen in a penitentiary because it makes it bad for the food. It's bad for everyone. It creates a lot of paranoia. So they're cutting this guy in half and they're trying to put him in a garbage can. They can't get him in the garbage can. So they cut him in half and bent him and they got the elevator and they're smashing the elevator down trying to put him in the can. He's got half in one can and half in the other can and they're trying to smuggle him out of the kitchen. And they smuggle him out of the kitchen and I'm pushing the floor. The guy come up and says, what happened? I said, what happened where? He said, what did you see? I said, see what? Where, what are you talking about? I don't see nothing, man. All my life, I've been on that line. I don't, I don't ever see anything. I know nothing. I know nothing. I'm zero. We continued looking for houses. We finally found an old house that we loved. He was in charge of the new construction of the old house. He converted the kitchen into the master bedroom, for instance, while I was on the wallpaper removal duty. The previous owner papered every wall and the ceiling. How crazy is that? Removing it from the ceiling was probably my most satisfying moments of reconstructing that house. The best feeling is getting a long peel. You know, similar to your skin when you're peeling from a sunburn. I don't know about you, but I kind of make a game of peeling. On the hunt for the longest piece before it rips. You know what I'm saying. But I found on the corner section of paper, in every room, there was a person's name and date. And one night, of course, curiosity got the best of me. I googled one of the names and discovered the person was actually a missing person with the date they went missing being the date on the wallpaper. The next day, I made a list of all the names and dates. Sure enough, each name was for a missing person with dates to match. We did the right thing this time. We notified the police, who naturally sent out the crime scene team. I overheard one tech say to the other, Yep, it's human. I thought, human? What's human? The tech said, ma'am. Where is the material you removed from the ceiling already? Uh, this isn't wallpaper you were removing.
Walter, don't. Seven, please. Eight. Nine. This is the hour, my dear. I can't stand it, I tell you. Oh, is it nine o'clock it comes? But if I hear that horrible thing again, I, I'll go crazy. Oh, this awful house. But it's quiet, my dear. Way out in the country like this, I can install my laboratory here as soon as I get around to it. As for these strange sounds, well, haunted houses have always fascinated me. I've always wanted to meet a ghost, shake hands with him, invite him to tea. Stop talking like that. It's serious. Oh, I've tried to stand it for your sake, Arthur, but I don't know how much longer. My heart isn't strong, and I... Hear it? But that's only the wind, isn't it? No. It always starts like that. You know it does. Don't move. Listen. Arthur, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. A ghost, eh? Well, we'll see. I'll meet him this time. I'll meet him halfway, too. Stop! Stop! Come. We'll both meet him. Give me your hand. No! Life, these old hands still. Not quite furioso. Moderato. Potable, perhaps. How could it be? Ask the alligator. His blood helped. Then on the diet of the blood of snakes. And all the putrid life of the Mississippi. Slowly, this dad became something like himself again. Claudia, you've been a very, very talk. God? God is love. I don't love you. I, I can't. I can't do this. I can lay you out and fill your mouth with your mother's feces. Or we can talk. above all others perfect love but like all true love one day it withered on the vine ah, the winged party boy is about come to feed on the guts of your little Mary are you a part of it? no Catherine 
Other angels have made this war because they hate you. You and all humans. God has put you in his grace and pushed them aside. They're desperate. They've never been able to conquer the other loyal angels. And so this war has remained in stalemate for thousands of years. And while this state of affairs endures, no soul can meet its God. Your parents and their parents and so on from the beginning lie still and worm your Of course, some of them do come to me eventually. For while heaven may be closed, I am always open, even on Christmas.
promotional consideration for tonight's OK Talk episode is brought to you by New Amsterdam. Imagine a world where creatives always have a key to the city. New Amsterdam makes high-quality notebooks with creative people in mind. That's K-N-E-W, Amsterdam.com. Be sure to use the promotional code NEWDAY and receive free shipping off your first order. NewAmsterdam.com. Welcome, citizen. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.